that you can follow along with me this morning. I have to tell you, before I read, I was out of town this week at the General Assembly, over a thousand ministers together, worshiping and deliberating and praying together, but, but I, I missed you all. I just found that in my heart. I missed you. I missed my family, of course, but I missed you, and um, it's great to be together this morning. That first passage, John 13, 34, and 35, I trust is familiar to many of you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So far the reading from God's Word. Does anyone here remember the character from Tom Hanks' wonderful movie, Castaway, a character named Wilson? Who was Wilson? Does anyone know? Well, Tom Hanks plays a FedEx executive on a, on a delivery flight, and the plane goes down in the ocean, and he's the only survivor, and he makes his way to a deserted island. And there he fights to survive, and he does survive, except that the isolation and the loneliness begins to crush in upon him. And he comes across in the debris that came from the airplane a Wilson volleyball. Remember that? A Wilson volleyball. And, and he picks it up, and, and, he, and he starts talking to it, and he wants to cut some hair, a wig for it, and he cuts himself, and with his own blood, he paints eyes and a, and a mouth on the volleyball, and he puts a wig on top of it, and he calls it his friend Wilson, because he's desperate to connect with someone else. The movie is very poignant as it teaches us that life is about relationships. That's not new to the Bible. From the very beginning of the Bible through to this marvelous passage, we learn that life is all about relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with people. And all summer, we're taking a break from our study through the book of Romans And all summer, we are going to explore together what the Bible says about these horizontal relationships that God has given us that are so important to what it means to be human. And in the context of this passage, John 13, we come to that amazing night. John records it as the final discourse that Jesus has with his disciples. And that night, you recall, he gets down on his knees and he takes up the towel. And he does not ask to be served, but what does he do? He connects personally, tactily, touching, washing the feet of his disciples, the teacher, the master, washing the feet of his disciples. And as the discourse rises to its crescendo, he says at the end of it, He says, just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. He has loved you, my friend. And apparently, He has loved you not just so His love stops at you, but so that His love would move to you and through you to other people. Here in the church, we are to love each other, but not just in the church, husbands and wives to love each other. How are you doing? Parents and children to love each other. How are you doing? In the workplace, how are you doing in your relationships with the boss, with your colleagues, at school, with the other kids in school? How are you doing? What would they say? What would other people say about your relational skill set? I wonder. What would they say about me? Are they experiencing the love of God that has come to me? Is it going through me? So fasten your seatbelt. We're going to have a, a terrific, challenging summer in our study together. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the past few years. I just want you to know I've wanted to preach this, ser- this sermon series. We just haven't, it hasn't fit yet, but for several years. And it largely flows out of a friendship I have with a man named Ken Sandy. Ken Sandy uh, oversees the ministry that was called Peacemaker, and, and we've used his material. He's been a friend for a long time, but he's devoted his life now to a new ministry, exploring what does the Bible say about relationships and how do we cultivate what he calls relational wisdom as we connect life on life with other people. So I'm just telling you up front, I draw heavily on Ken Sandy, one of the humblest men I've ever met. Our staff went to a seminar of his down in Philadelphia a few years ago, and uh, it was very helpful. Today, well, today, today I hope uh, you, get to, you get the aroma of the food we're going to eat this summer. This is a foundational message for the rest of the summer, and I hope it makes you want to come back. Because the Bible says life is all about relationship. Andre, if you would turn out these lights and put that photograph up on the screen for me. I sent this photograph out in the e-bullet this week. And I said, what does Pastor John, Pastor John ask you, what are you thinking about this photograph? What do you see here? Some of you wrote back, uh, interesting analysis, just speculating and, and essentially what you see is that relationships can be hard, that barriers, walls come up between people, all sorts of walls, and it causes frustration and separation, right? And someone wrote and said, you can see how frustrated they are. And maybe she has her hand up, sort of even protecting herself. And he, is he banging his head against the wall? We don't know. And yet, look at their hands. Their hands are connected. They want to connect. They want to be restored. They they just don't know how to get around the wall. This summer, we want to learn how to get around the wall, to bring down the barriers, to heal, to love. So, 
you can uh, take down the photograph, but keep that in mind. We'll, we'll be coming back to that at the end today. Life is about relationship, relationship with God and other people, and we have to start with that first part. Life is about relationship, first and foremost, with God. And do you know why? The answer is that God is a relational being. In His very essence, in His being, at the essence of God is this relational dynamic. And do you know where we see this? We are, it's first disclosed in the very big first chapter of the Bible in Genesis. We get a hint of this as, as God uh, Himself decides He's going to create the universe. And God, then God said, let us, just those first two words, we'll stop right there. He said, let us, and it's in the plural. And, you know, all kinds of scholars have written about what that us is, but we're told in the New Testament that creation was a function of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together. This is the Trinity. And our first glimpse of God, let us, we, the one living and true God, the one God, relates as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. They love one another. The deep love pulses through the Trinity. And God cooperates with Himself in the creation of man. He talks to Himself and He says, let us. And that dynamic is a dynamic of love. God uses all kinds of relational terms, doesn't He, to disclose how He wants to relate to you. Words like Abba, Father. Martin told us last week, unless you understand the fatherhood of God, the doctrine of sonship, you really have very little understanding of Christianity at all. Have you come to the place in your life where you've learned to say to God, Abba, Father. The Bible speaks of it as a, as a bridegroom with his bride. What could be more passionate than that. Tonight, Sarah Sullivan and Adam are getting married. What's, what will there be in that room? The passion will be palpable. The love. And God relates with that. And of course, John 3.16, what do we know? We've all heard it, but uh, sometimes we think John 3.16 is simply an announcement about everlasting life, but it begins, God so, what's the next word? Does anyone know? Loved pulsing out of God. His very being is love. Listen, God is speaking to you today at the beginning of this series. He's speaking to you personally, and He's saying, I sent Jesus to you because I love you. And I'm not a God who is far away. I am a God who pursues. I am a God who comes after. I'm a God who embraces his people. I want you to know this. God is relational. And I want you to believe this. Your earthly horizontal relationships will not go very far. The walls will not come down. You will not have power to love unless you are first loved because we love because he first loved us. But if you look carefully at Genesis 1.26, where God says, let us, meaning he's relational, how does it finish? And this is phenomenal. Let us make man in our image. 
What in the world does that mean? And let me simply say that one thing at least it means is that you are made in the image of God so you too are a relational being. God is relational. You're made in His image, made to connect with God in an intimate way and then made to connect with other human beings in intimate ways. And I wonder if you believe this. If you're not sure about this, you go down to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 16 in Genesis And God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. That's why Tom Hanks knew on that deserted island he needed something. Now, Wilson the volleyball was just a cheap imitation counterfeit, but we need other connection. You have to understand yourself. Who am I? I'm a relational being. You know, um, you know the story of Frankenstein. Fascinating story. Fascinating psychological analysis of the human condition. Tim Keller posted something at the Gospel Coalition that I saw on Facebook this week, and he reminded us of Boris Karloff in that second uh, 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 Frankenstein movie where the monster escapes and he's out in the dark forest. And there's a little hut inhabited by an old man who is blind, old, decrepit, and lonely. And the old man, he prays to God. He says, oh God, send me a friend, someone who can help me endure my loneliness. And at that moment, the monster comes and comes to the door. And the blind man opens the door. He says, friend, come in. You're the answer to my prayers. He's blind. He can't see the hideous monster. And he welcomes the monster, right? And and they connect in some way. The monster groans. He says, well, you can't speak, and I can't see. I can do the talking, and, and, uh, and 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 you can do the seeing. And he gets some food for the monster, and there's a, a warmth starts. And the monster learns a word like food or friend somehow to utter some speech, there's some hint of relational connection. And then the soldiers come. And the monster is frightened. And he flees. And the, the soldiers trying to kill the monster, they set fire to the house. And, and the, all you can see in this scene is the smoke coming and the old man inside saying, friend, friend. And uh, Tim Keller reminds us, as Mary Shelley reminded us, I am the monster. You are the monster. Shaped and created and made by all the expectations of other people. We don't know how to speak their language. We're frustrated. We're frightened. Yeah, I'm that, and I'm that old man, desperately longing for friendship. I'm longing for the true friend. I'm longing for Jesus Christ, who said, I have called you friends so that I could experience the true friend and then become a true friend. Life is all about relationships, and that's point one for us. And it set the stage uh, for the words of Jesus to his disciples, as I have loved you, what's the second half of this verse? Verse 34, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
And since you're made in God's image, a relational being, Jesus tells us what God wants from us, to love. And if he loves you and made you this being, how does he instruct us? Well, he gives us the two great commandments. I guess Ken Sandy would say, let's focus on the two great commandments. You know them, don't you? Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this means that God has wired you with what we might call a relational operating system. Now, if you understand computers, you know what I mean by an operating system. Microsoft uses Windows. I just upgraded Windows 10 Windows is their operating system. Apple uses a Mac OS. What is an operating system? You computer geeks, I, you know I'm not going to explain it all that well, and you computer neophytes like me, you probably might not understand it as I don't really understand it either, but I know this, that the operating system is the most important program on the computer. It's the operating system that recognizes the signals from the keyboard. It's the operating system that sends out messages to the, of display to the, to the screen and interfaces with the email that takes the messages to the world. It's the most important program, and the Bible says you have a relational operating system. And the relational dynamics are to be quick and swift and good and healthy and serving to God, serving you in your relationship with God and in your relationship with others. And you can do what Wilson the volleyball, don't settle for being Wilson the volleyball, you can do what Wilson the volleyball could never do. You can love another person. And as you do that, you develop a relational operating system run by relational wisdom. That's a term, again, from Ken Sandy. He puts it like this. Relational wisdom is the ability to live out the two great commandments of loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. And as we unpack this over the course of the summer, we're going to see that you can have the ability to discern your own emotions. Next week, it's all about emotions. You can discern your own emotions and your own desires and your own interests. And then, in the light of God's Word, in the light of what the Bible teaches, and in the light of His presence in your life, you manage your emotions and your interactions with other people. That's what a Christian does. And who is the example of the best relational OS in the world, the history of the world? Well, it's Jesus. And I hope this summer we will learn and study Jesus together. And I, I know you've heard this occasionally from me. I love the way the Bible says Jesus looked at people. It just simply observes that Jesus looked. He paid attention to other people. What do you know? How profound. But Jesus was always observing people and discovering 
the point of their need. And then it says he's moved to compassion. Again and again, moved to compassion in his bowels, in his gut. Moved to compassion. And then he moves toward them. He touches the unclean leper. He blesses the little children. He moves toward the widow and her dead son. That's our Jesus. Jesus has the greatest relational wisdom, relational skills of anyone we need to study him. My favorite, of course, is that Samaritan woman in John 4. Oh, this is my favorite right now, but it's, it's extraordinary. That moment in John 4, 9, verse 9, where uh, he says, where it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, what do you learn about the uh, relation, relational dynamics of Jesus Christ when she asks, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John, in parenthesis, he, he notes, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Startling. Jesus Christ gets across the prejudice, the, the, the distances. He moves and steps into the life of a sinner, and she's a pretty big sinner. And he, her, he, her life is changed forever by this encounter. So we're going to study Jesus today. What is your OS? Do you have a healthy what you might call a healthy relational operating system. I hope you do. One that is actively engaged in loving the God who loves you. We love because He first loved us. Don't ever forget that. The source for your love for others horizontally must always come from that relationship vertically. And if you are here today, I hope you will study with us in the life of this church the exquisite wonder of the mercy of God. That we will discover the beauty of God. That we will enjoy what it means to be forgiven our sins, forgiven, cleansed by God through the cross of His Son. That we will know the intimacy of the Holy Spirit in us, pulsing with that love of the Father. Oh, my friends, how are you doing at this in your relationship with God and then with others? Because a, a healthy operating system is able to love others as He loved us. You know, I read a study this week about men in America. Now, ladies, we will also address some issues generally that speak to women. But I read this study this week about the fact that men in America, as a 95%, 95% of men in America do not have a best friend. Women have lots of BFFs. They have a BFF. I'm just not saying that men don't have friends. But it does say that men don't have a best friend, a male best friend. They just don't have one. George Costanza, the patron saint of the American male, you know, from Seinfeld, he, he identifies himself one day in a, in a fit of frustration. He identifies himself as the emotionally constipated American male. And men, 
You ever had the operating system on your computer freeze? I have. It's so frustrating. Frozen. You ever have a virus? We need it to be upgraded so that you have a healthy relational system. But like the picture up on the screen earlier, we often have destructive relational patterns. And some of us, before we were Christians, what were we? We, we were bullies. Well, just becoming a Christian doesn't mean you've learned not to be a bully. And I know lots of Christians that are still bullies. Maybe you were the kind of person who avoided conflict at all costs. You just sort of laid down and let people walk all over you, and you're passive and and uh, you, you, you never learned how to engage other people, and then you became a Christian, and guess what? You never learned how to put off the old person. You never learned how to engage in a healthy way. You're still an avoider. Some people are violent with their words, maybe their fists, how dreadful and terrible and wicked that is. But, oh, my friends, there are dysfunctional we would call them sinful relational patterns that we must address together in our lives. And experience, yeah, experience the horror at seeing it, the ugliness of it. You're going to allow me, you're going to allow God's Word to expose the ugliness of sinful relational patterns in your life, okay? You're going to give me permission when you come through the door week after week to do that. Where did the preacher get the right to speak to me like that? Well, you did when you came in the door. I'm just warning you. And you're going to give permission to each other to speak to it. I wonder if anyone knows the poem by the, the great Scottish poet Robert Burns. Burns wrote a poem called an ode to a louse. You know what a louse is? A louse is an ugly bug. And apparently Robert Burns was sitting in church and a louse came on the head of the woman sitting in front of him. <laughs> and this poem, he, in old Scottish dialect, he, he talks to the bug and he describes the bug and the mess of the bug and that the woman is oblivious to the bug. And then in the old dialect, he says this. He says, oh, would God give us the grace to see ourselves as others see us. Mm. Why is that important? Well, the answer is it's because we have blind spots. And what are blind spots? Blind spots are because you are blind. You can't see it. And so your friend, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your children, your parents, maybe they can help you see it. But don't be afraid of this. I'll tell you why. Don't be afraid of this. Because though there are sinful relational dynamics in my life and in yours, Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus died for your relational sins. Jesus died for the double cure, the double cure, we sing of it, cleanse me from sin's guilt and power. Guilt and power. And you won't get 
freed from the guilt until you confess the guilt. Yes, of course, we go to the cross. We'll be traveling to the cross again and again because Jesus died for my relational sins. But he also died not just to give me information. Christianity is not about information. It is about transformation. And so he begins that process of sanctification. Will you join me this summer in this process of sanctification? I'll tell you what. Some of you are students of modern psychology, and suddenly modern psychology is all hot and bothered about what they call uh, uh, emotional intelligence, right? There's IQ. Everybody knows what IQ is. That's your intelligence quotient, how smart you are. But modern psychologists are now talking about EQ, emotional quotient, What is your skill set, your relational dynamics? I read a book by Travis Bradbury this week called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And he explains here that IQ actually has very little to do with how successful you are at work. Did you know that? By far, your EQ your emotional intelligence, your relational skills are the most important thing for success in school, in work, in the neighborhood, uh, on the team, in the church. Well, he doesn't talk about the church, but he's saying this is most important. Some of you have an OS that is frozen or stuck or flawed. There's virus. The virus is sin. Jesus came to die for those sins and to bring the double cure to cleanse you of guilt. Because you know what? It's progressive. You're going to fail in relationships. Put up the picture again for me, if you would, Andre. You're going to run into barriers. And this is going to happen. But failure for the Christian can mean progress. When the Christian sees the louse. Okay? It can mean progress as you learn how to love one another. And they will learn by God's grace to step outside the wall, to face one another, to know one another, to forgive one another, to bless one another, to edify one another, to speak words that build up and don't tear down, words that don't judge and make the other person feel small. They will learn to listen to each other. Some of us, we're so quick to talk, 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 talk. Who does that remind you of? Nina, who does that remind you of? We must learn to listen. Really hear each other and then speak the truth in love with one another. The New Testament is all over this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, Romans 12, 2. Do you see that there? It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, God is transforming you by the Holy Spirit. It's His work. The Lord does it. Ephesians 4, 22 says you put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. For Jesus did not just die for you. He rose from the dead for you. We don't just preach the cross. Some people say we only preach the cross. No, we preach the cross and the resurrection. He's alive. 
I've been crucified with Christ, but now he's alive and Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So we're going to practice this summer. And 1 Timothy 4.15, it says practice these things. It takes practice. It is not, I will not become a good listener till I practice. And maybe you will not grow in love until you practice these things. The word is gymnazo. What does that sound like? Gymnasium. As you see this picture here, there, there's an ancient philosopher, Philo of Alexandria, who said this. He said, Be kind, because everyone you meet is fighting great battles. I think that's a helpful thing to remember from this pagan philosopher. He observed something that is uniquely that is that is very true. Be kind. Because every person you meet is facing great battles. And God has sent his son who says to you, As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. I'm excited. I'm excited for us this summer. I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll bring your family, your friends, and your neighbors together. We will welcome the Lord to transform and change us as we learn to love like we have been loved. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, it's very exciting to think that we can grow in this. And we begin by wanting our relationship with you to flourish. If there's anyone here today who has never believed that God really loves them, would today would you just say to God, God, I believe you the message of your word, I believe. And Jesus Christ has been sent because you love me. And Jesus has loved me to the end, to die and rise again for my sins, my relational sins, and to make me new. We all pray that, Lord. Not just a guest, we all pray that. Make us new this summer in fresh, exciting, and beautiful ways. Let it begin by us loving you with all our hearts, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.